a ratio marketing podcast. If you look out years in advance, there's there's just not going to be enough people to do the work in the historical ways with which we've done them. Uh, you can look at that glass half empty and you better start looking pretty quickly glass half full in order to do something about it. But but I think there's three big things in, in our, our industry. Labor is a big piece of it. We've got shrinking labor. There is shrinking reimbursement. In our world, the government is one of the big payers. Uh, there's shrinking and tightening reimbursement. And then there's increased regulation. But that's sort of the, the trifecta of headwinds, of labor, reimbursement, uh, and, and regulation. Have you ever wished you had a healthcare provider on speed dial? Someone you could call to validate your product market fit. Someone to listen and help you see your solution differently. Welcome to Healthcare Market Matrix, a podcast to help you see your market clearly. We dive deep into the challenges faced by healthcare organization leaders that technology has the chance to help them solve. It's all about gaining the kind of understanding you need to effectively connect with your market. Join us as we explore the Healthcare Market Matrix. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Healthcare Market Matrix. I'm your host, John Farkas, and I'm eager to jump in today's interview because uh, today we have the chance to talk to Andy Flatt. And Andy currently serves as the Senior Vice President and Chief Information Officer for National Healthcare Corporation, or otherwise known as NHC. Uh, as and as I've interacted with folks who know Andy and just kind of getting in, in preparation for our, our time together today, I asked them to tell me a little bit about how they would characterize him and his style of leadership. And the, uh, the thing that emerged over and over uh, in, in my conversations is the idea of servant leader. And um, as I imagine the role right now of a CIO and in, in a healthcare organization in today's climate, I, I don't know of another way to approach it right now. There's a lot going on. It is a high-pressure environment, and success in that role, uh, I got to think, means kind of climbing in there elbow to elbow and being willing to work, and that's a lot of what I've heard of Andy's uh, approach. So uh, what, what I know about NHC is that it's the nation's oldest and among the largest publicly traded long-term healthcare companies, and I'm going to have Andy tell us a little bit more about the scope of that organization here in a minute. But I want you to know Andy comes to his role really honestly. He spent somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 years in a combination of public and private healthcare organizations, including more than 20 years as a CIO. And he's served in executive leadership roles at uh, Horizon Health and at Cigna HealthSpring, um, at AIM Healthcare, which is now a division of Optum, and Baptist Healthcare System, which I think is now a division of Ascension. And Andy, I'm looking forward to learning more about what you are facing now as you're, uh, as you're looking at the horizon and the role you see technology playing in the future of NHC. So uh, welcome to Healthcare Market Matrix. Well, thanks, John. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. Appreciate that introduction. Yeah. So, um, so as I mentioned, tell us a little bit about the scope of NHC and the n number of locations, coverage, stuff like that. Sure. Well, um, NHC has been around, you mentioned our public nature, and we've been around for a while. We're in our 52nd year. Uh, Dr. Carl Adams started this company uh, back in the, in the 70s with, a, you know, he mortgaged his, his own house to buy some, some nursing homes that were that were uh, in trouble and, and sort of grew this very humbly into what it is today. NHC has uh, 68 uh, skilled nursing facilities. Nursing home would be the old term for that. Uh, and that's a primary area of business for us. But in addition to that, we've got assisted living communities and dependent living. Uh, we have three behavioral health uh, hospitals that we either uh, joint venture in or own ourselves and run. 35 home care agencies, 29 hospice agencies, uh, memory care, pharmacy, rehab services, a, a lot of things going on in the senior care space. One that hopefully we'll talk a little bit about later is we have, we have, uh, we're doing more in providing our services in, in a management services type 
provider uh, situation where we're uh, we're offering our services to other other uh, senior care companies. So that's a new division that I'm very excited about. Gotcha. So um, tell us a little bit about your time leading up to your time at NHC. Uh, tell us kind of color between the lines a little bit and talk about the road that brought you here. Sure. Well, um, I've been in Nashville my whole career, which is now 40 years this year. I went to Lipscomb University and and uh, studied computer science. But my first job right out of, out of school was as a software developer uh, in, uh, in a uh, renal or kidney care setting. And, and I say that because that's where I cut my teeth on what we call electronic health records today. You didn't call it that back then, but it was clinical systems that took care of patients. And that's that's 40 years ago. So I started as a developer and uh, I've stayed in healthcare my, my whole time, had the uh, opportunity to to do management uh, at, at Baptist Healthcare. What was an entrepreneur in, in between when I started in starting in healthcare, we started in the HR company. Uh, that that just sold recently, uh, so it's been around since since the late '80s. Um, but um, uh, and and I mentioned those companies because I would say one of the things that sh- or t- two people that helped shaped uh, shape my background and my thought on things more than any. First, I guess would be my my father. My father's a, a, a small town minister, uh, and and the servant leadership that he showed. Is where I, uh, that's in my DNA and, and where I, you know, have a passion about serving other folks. And, and I would say the other is the word passion because Dr. Victor Pollock, who's uh, who passed away a few years ago, he was my mentor at, at DCI. And then when we started business, he was a partner of mine. Uh, he was an expert uh, at the time on lupus and kidney disease, a South African born uh, fiery doctor. And, and the main thing he, he stressed in my life, he said, you, he said, have a passion. I don't even care what it's about, but do you have a passion and do you have a fire in your belly? Uh, and that goes back to the the eighties, eighties and nineties when we were working together. So I would say those two have, have had as much influence on on my career and, and direction as any. Gotcha. Um, talk a little bit about how your position now at NHC is set up within the organization. Who do you report to? What are the functions that report up to you? How's that sure. set up? Well, I joined NHC uh, seven years ago. I'll start my eighth at the turn of the year. And uh, NHC had uh, a history of, of, of using technology and computers. In fact, Dr. Adams and our uh, chief nursing officer at the time, Judy Powell, created the first uh, computer uh, record in the nursing home industry computer assessment uh, tool in the industry. So we had a history of being pretty innovative with, innovative with our technology. Uh, when I joined, it was at a time where, uh, you know, Steve Flatt, who I report to, had just become the CEO. He had been at NAC for several years, but just become the CEO and uh, wanted, understood the, the need to take technology to, to new levels. While we had a great background in history with technology, it was an opportunity and a time really to take it to the next level. And uh, we talked re- really over the period of two years about my coming to NAC before I, before I uh, made the move. But I do report to Steve. He's the CEO of the company, and I have responsibility for uh, you know, all things technology uh, currently InfoSec and cyber reports up through me, um, responsible for telecom. Um, so, you know, if it's, if it's a computer, we got a, uh, back in Y2K, we used to say, if it's got a cord attached to it, I guess that's, that's within the realm of what we're responsible <laughs> for. So that's, that's my area of responsibility. Gotcha. And worth mentioning that while you and Steve share a last name, that's a distant, distant relation, not uh, not a direct relation. Important qualifier for a publicly traded company. That's correct. <laughs> so uh, talk a little bit about your um, your relationship with Steve and how you guys work and collaborate. Yeah, it's interesting. And I've, I've tried to, you know, I, I get up every morning and think, I tell Steve, first of all, if our name's not in the newspaper in a bad way, that's been you know a good day for yesterday. But um, I, I came to NHC. NHC has a great reputation. I've known of NHC for decades. Um, 
but you really, you know, you go to work for people that happen to be at places. And so when I came to Steve, we, we early on established sort of a, you know, how do we, how do we want to work together? What, what are the areas of responsibility? Uh, and so he, he has placed a trust in me and, and that's probably one of the most important things to me is to never do anything that, that, uh, compromises that trust. Um, I tell the story sometimes he uses, he uses a story of a, you know, of a rubber band with tension. He said, you know, we're here and you know, we need to be there, but if you stretch a rubber band too much, you break it. So it's, it's, it's the wisdom of knowing how to make incremental change, uh, create a little tension, let the tension ease then go to the next level. And so that's sort of our style of communication. I, 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 I sit at the senior table, so it's a report to Steve, but all of the other uh, peers and partners that are at that table are critical to the way we run IT. Mm-hmm. Every person at that table uh, is very involved. So, um, you know, one of the things we established early on with Steve, you know, historically, I guess in a lot of companies, everybody had their own swim lane. So each person at the table sort of had their lane. Uh, and I sort of look at things now and our, the way we work together is you, you take those swim lanes out of, it's just one big pool that we all generally know our area and the direction that we swim in. And I say, we, I'm talking about the people at the senior table. Um, but we've got to be involved in each other's areas because there's, there's, it's, everything touches everything and, and technology. And, and Steve was very supportive of this in the beginning. He said, you know, technology is touching everything we do. So he's been very good and the board's been good and senior management's been good to help govern, help support, help fund uh, technology initiatives. And, and it's a very collaborative environment here. I'm, I'm not surprised to hear that just with a lot of what I've heard and the moves that you guys have been making. It, it is going to it does require a lot of unity. And this is a <laughs> and, and this is a critical time for that type of uh <laughs> coordinated direction because i've got a as i look at all of the uh the vectors that are conspiring right now around the elder care senior care um space if i were to look at a set of words that would be (laughs) the the words i that come to mind are labor and shortage and compliance and budget (laughs) and if i were to to factor those in as critical concerns of of your space i've got to think that that's uh those are the the big ones am i missing anything no you you really hit the nail on the head um you know when i joined nhc this was while i've been in healthcare my whole career this was my first foray into the post-acute world or the long-term care world and i thought healthcare is healthcare until i got here and 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 the way Nursing homes are regulated, and the way you do business here is a pretty complex and challenging environment. Uh, you're right. I, I guess our biggest challenge, particularly post-pandemic, has been labor. It's just yep. we. Uh, I think the acute care setting in the hospitals have probably pretty much come back. Our space has not. I forget the number of our industry leaders that say, "Here's how many you know thousands of jobs that were." vacated during the pandemic that still have not come back. And, you know, one of the, one of the challenges is, um, and I was just reading a, a thing over the weekend about Elon Musk talking about, you know, the, the biggest, one of the biggest crises we have is there's not enough people being born right now. And so the, mm-hmm. uh, if you look out years in advance, there's, there's just not going to be enough people to do the work in the historical ways with which we've done them. Uh, you can look at that glass half empty and you better start looking pretty quickly glass half full in order to do something about it. But, but I think there's three big things in, in our, our industry. Labor is a big piece of it. We've got shrinking labor. There is shrinking reimbursement uh, you know, in our world. Yeah. The government is one of the big payers. Uh, there's, there's shrinking and tightening reimbursement. And then there's increased regulation. Um, so I know we'll talk in a minute about what we're trying to do about all those things, but that's sort of the, the trifecta of headwinds, of labor, reimbursement, uh, and, and regulation. Yeah, so as you, um, as you look at that and, and try and think through how as an organization, because you know, sustaining an organization with those headwinds is not easy. I mean, those are, those are some, pretty, uh, some pretty determined forces that are, that are conspiring against you. And we all know, I mean, looking at this right now, I've never seen a time in healthcare where there's been more, you know, it used to be just a couple years ago, 
where people, when you started talking about technology that could replace people's jobs, that was a threat. <laughs> now, now it's a necessity, right? It's moved pretty quickly from that, that we're not going to talk about that. If it's tech that's going to take headcount, we, we can't really say that. And now it's like, we've got to look for ways that we can, we can effectively you know, support our labor force in, in ways that, uh, that are, are effective and are going to be compliant and are going to end up helping us care well for the populations we're charged with. How, how would you describe the shape of the challenge and how are some of the ways that you guys are looking to solve it? So I, I agree with you. That, that's the challenge. Um, you know, I think about our business, our industry, and, and, and distilled down really to two words, which is uh, accuracy and dignity. And, and accuracy comes in the form of a lot of things, but it's how do, how do we take care of our patients very well? How do we make sure their, their health is taken care of, their, their well-being, that we're, mm -hmm. you know, we feed them? We, we take care of every basic necessity, particularly in our, our nursing facilities. So how do we do that well? And, and so the, the accuracy piece and then the dignity side of that, which is very personal and people intensive, is how do we uh, make sure, sure we're meeting the needs of our patients in, in, in the ways that only people can. Back to the accuracy side, I think there's a lot of things that we have people doing now that technology can do. And, and it's already starting to replace some, some, some people jobs going forward. I would I would draw back and say I don't look at that as a negative because we don't have enough people to fulfill you know we, we don't have enough people so if we can free up some of their time with technology that just lets them do the things that that only people can do but if uh, I think some of the things that we're looking at are, are are what are those things those repetitive tasks that can be replaced with technology things like um, vital sign monitoring which is mm -hmm. done by people now. Uh, that can be done with wearables, with sensor technology, uh, you know, telehealth that lets us do a lot of things that that um, lessen the need for specific people. You know, one of the things we're testing now, this is just a very simple thing, but we're testing in our assisted livings, robotic waiters in the in the um, in the dining hall. So rather mm -hmm. than a person, two or three people managing a dining hall and somebody running back and forth to the kitchen to bring out plates, there are robots that do that now. And, um, you know, that saved a lot of money. It's interesting. I, I saw a demonstration of that. One of the first questions was, well, first of all, is that threatening to the people? And the answer was no, they love having it because it helps them. And then it was how well is how well is that type of technology received by your constituents, your patients? You know, our average <laughs> patients, 82, 83 years old. And do they are they intimidated by technology? And the answer was, no, they love the robot bots. In fact, they gave them names and they interact with them. So. <laughs> Um, I, I just think you'll continue to see a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of change with technology. I, I, I will mention one of the things when you—that's a problem we have with turnover. First of all, is how do you keep the people that you you already have and not lose them? Mm -hmm. uh, I would say one of the things that's very, very special about our culture that hopefully goes toward retention uh, is every day we we have what we call stand up. Uh, this was developed years ago here following sort of the Ritz-Carlton model, uh, we have 13,000 employees that every day, if you're working, you're going to stop and spend five minutes and you're going to hear the same talk. There are 20 talking points. Uh, and we're going to hear the talking point of the day and then some announcement type things. But every day, part of our culture is to get together. And our employees, and we don't call them employees at NAC, we call them partners. All of our partners, all 13,000 are getting together every day and hearing the same message. Uh, our culture of taking care of that patient, uh, which I think is a is a very important piece, certainly to our model and to our uh, retention. Yeah, especially with the pressures that they're all facing right now, the consistent reminders that what we're about is caring for people mm -hmm. is uh, is an important underscore, I think, for anybody in healthcare right now because you know the there it is a charged environment and the pressures are real. The administrative weight is real the the continuum focused on how are we gonna how are we gonna keep fo keep focused on the fact that these are people that we're caring for it's just so important um and to that end you know as i look at all the graphs that are facing the well healthcare in general but certainly 
when we're looking at the aging population. Um, you know, you've mentioned some of the, the things you're doing just right now in a pragmatic way, but as you're looking at that, the wave that's coming, because, you know, anybody who's looked at the graphs know that that is, uh, it, it's an impossible looking equation right now in the current paradigm. But what are some of the things that you guys are doing to prepare for, for the continuing increase in need, demand, capacity, all the, all the elements that uh, we know are, are coming as the, the baby boom continues to age into that, into that sector? Yeah, you've, you've outlined sort of the, the, the pressure is, I mentioned earlier, all the things that are negative headwinds, yet they're with the, um, the baby boomer generation particularly, there are, what, 10,000 people aging into Medicare every day. So that yeah. means in 10, 15 years, they're our patient. And so you, you've got all this headwind, yet you've got this silver tsunami of people that are going to need our care. One of the things we're looking at is, uh, you know, we've got a, a significant home care division, for example, and, and that's mm-hmm. becoming, there, there are more and more things we can do working in the home that, that, uh, that keep people at home longer, uh, aging in place, which is very important. So I mentioned earlier, sensor technology, telehealth, all the things that let us take care of somebody so that they really don't end up in our nursing, skilled nursing facility until the acuity is very, very high and, and they, they need assistance. And so they come to our facility. So we're looking at that for the future that says, how do we make sure the, the, how sick or uh, the acuity of that patient, how sick they are is going to be much higher in the future when we, when they finally do come to us. And so how are we uh, back to the technology things that we can use? How do we, how do we make sure we can, take care of them and, and, and have the skill that we need to do that. And technology and devices play, play a big piece in that. But there's a lot of other little simple things that just historically have been done. And, and it's not unique to the post-acute space. I've got a daughter that's a, a nurse, uh, a NICU nurse in a hospital and, and in a big hospital chain and, and things like scheduling. You know, you'd think, well, that's mm-hmm. obviously very automated and very easy for a, a worker to do. And it's not there any more than it is in our world. And so one of the things we're doing to make it easier for our partners is uh, use of mobile devices and personal mobile devices. And and if we need somebody on a shift, how do we put the word out at the, you know, there's an opening. And and, and so that we've got the way to take care of that, which before would have been print out a piece of paper, get on the phone and start calling. Mm -hmm. So I think mobile Mm -hmm. apps are going to be a huge piece of our future that let us just be much more efficient how we're taking care of our patients. Gotcha. Are there, um, so what are some of the challenges as you look at integrating new technology and knowing that you are a, you know, lots of facilities, lots of different uh, infrastructure frameworks, you know, different setups that I'm sure that you've been in some degree of process over the last seven years and trying to bring some, some order and uniformity to, uh, as you look at all of those elements, what are some of the challenges NHC faces in integrating and adopting newer technology? I, I think just purely on a at the beginning on an infrastructural level, uh, you know we've we've moved a lot of our systems to the cloud, um, mm-hmm. and so now that's been a big part of your initiative over the last seven years is that cloud migration. Exactly. Uh, historically, we, we we've had a lot of development developed software over the years. We've been around a long time. Well, we wake up and all of that's in-house and it's custom developed. And so we've been on a journey to to go um, best of breed, third-party cloud first going forward. And we've had a lot of success doing that. Well, what that does is create uh, a dependency on access to the internet and wireless access in, in many cases. Because, for example, we do point-of-care service with a little tablet that the that the caregiver takes in the room and, and, and enters things. So the first piece of, of dealing with the challenge is to make sure we've got, uh, you know, critical infrastructure in place that lets us access the internet. How do we have primary mm-hmm. dedicated lines? How do we have secondary dedicated lines? If, if we're offline, for example, in, in, in most, a lot of institutions, the worst thing that can happen is you lose money In healthcare environment. The worst thing that can happen is you can, you can kill somebody. If you do the wrong thing, if you don't have the meds, uh, so right. a lot of backup. But infrastructure is a big piece of that. Um, 
I would say going forward, a lot of the other, it's, it's exciting and it's also scary is what, what is the role artificial intelligence is playing in, in the society today and in, in healthcare and specifically in our world. So we're looking a lot at how, how artificial intelligence can be used. We've, we've used it over the past probably two or three years. For example, our electronic health record has falls detection built in that was AI-driven. Uh, what's ramped up, particularly in the last year, is use of uh, Gen AI or generative artificial intelligence, and we're starting to have those conversations. Um, we, you know, we're having it at, at management levels, at, at at board levels, because there's a lot of oversight, uh, particularly in public companies now. Uh, yep. there, there's there's a requirement that went into effect in July that 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 lays out a couple of things. Number one, if you have a material incident, you've got four days with which to report it. But then there's oversight of risk that's that's uh, at the board level now as part of their duty of care, certainly at a management level. And so while it's exciting, all of these things that AI can do, you also got to you've got to balance that for all the, the, the negative things and the, and, the, and the cyber things that can happen that can, can take you down pretty quickly. Gotcha. Yeah, there's, it just is the, the, the now the concerns. And if you add, add uh, privacy and all of what needs to happen in the context of AI around that vector too, there's a lot to consider as organizations like yours move forward. I know. Um, to that end, when you are looking at, you know, I know, and you've shared with me before that you really look at, you, you don't consider, uh, you're not necessarily looking for vendors to help with your considerations. You're looking for partners, um, which I I know is an important way to look at it. And and I hear this over and over from people in in similar positions as yours. You, you know, you can't uh, you can't just look at a tech solution. You have to look at somebody who's willing to come alongside of you and join you in the effort. And you know, whatever that implementation looks like, whatever the ongoing success framework for that technology looks like it's really important that that is a, a partner agreement where you're joining together on, on a mission uh, together. And so as you look at that and you consider partnering with, uh, with solution providers, what are some of the most valuable things you're looking for in that? Well, obviously when you're looking at, uh, <clears throat> assume we find a solution that meets our needs, uh, you know, who is the company? What's their background? How big are they? Um, we, our electronic health record, when we went in search of that, there were a lot of smaller vendors and smaller players that in the past we might have taken a look at it, we might have considered. But now, uh, particularly because on the, on, the, on the software side, we're relinquishing control of, uh, even though we still have responsibility for the cyber, for example. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, if, if somebody's in the cloud, well, well, what cloud? If they're in Microsoft or Google or, or Amazon, well, then inherently they're at a different level than if they've got their own little private cloud doing their own thing. So first of all, this, the size and, and the magnitude of the companies that have solutions, we, we go pretty deep in, in vetting them. I will say one of the things that, that's been very helpful to me over my career is that uh, the, the network and being associated with all the different peers that I have in, in Nashville and in healthcare, uh, a lot of bigger companies, um, they, they've got huge departments that do nothing but vet these types of solutions and vet the security around them. And so just the opportunity to have that conversation with somebody um, at another entity bigger than ours that has done that homework, then, then we can often ride the coattails and, and share that. Mm -hmm. uh, but we do look at, you know, what it's a relationship first and foremost, I think. So do we have, do we have the relationship with the key leaders at that, at that uh, solution provider that we're looking at? And uh, you're not just buying a solution, you're living with and paying for a tell on the end of it. And, and uh, you know, putting a new technology is just the beginning. You got to use it and, yep. and have ROI and, and, and have relationships to be able to continue that. Can you share an experience with it when a, uh, a partner exceeded your expectations? Uh, yeah, I think back, and this is years ago, and I was at a company where we, we put in some, uh, we, we tried to be leading edge, not bleeding edge, and it sort of turned out we were putting in 
we were putting in a technology at the time that ended up being pretty bleeding edge. And uh, we were with a, it was a company of, of size. I won't mention the name. It was a big company, but, but the particular person that was our representative who we had the relationship with, we had some problems that things just didn't work as, as they were supposed to. And, and that partner, that particular person showed up. It was a, it was a, it was, it was a piece of hardware that wasn't working. And when it didn't work, he showed up on our door with a, with a truck with replacements for what wasn't working and he made it whole. Um, and I, I, that's 20 years ago now. Uh, that was my first, you know, I've been a CIO 23 years now. And I think that was year two. And I was probably in over my head on a lot of things, but, but we had that relationship and he came in and he, and he, he made it right. And that's always, mm-hmm. that's always stuck with me of, of how not only to do business with partners, but how I wanted to, be perceived as, as well. How about conversely? Cause that's important, right? I mean, it's, it's not just about the integrity of, a, well, I'll say it this way. The integrity of a solution extends past the software, Yes, <laughs> right? It, it, it goes past that into how you're willing to stand with it, support it, be there when some, cause something is going to go wrong. It's not a question of if it's a question of, uh, of how and when, and uh, and the ability to to jump in and make it right as quick as possible. The variables are too many to ensure 100% uh, success. But when something does go wrong, having having a relationship and a person and uh, an accountability that means we're going to get this solved quickly. Um, how about the other side of that? Have you had an experience where it's clearly <laughs> fell short and you've been in a compromised position as a result? Yeah, there have been a, a couple of key specific uh, major enterprise software applications that uh, when we got into it, they, they, they just, one was just really in too early stage of a company that we, we adopted. I, you know, they had some great ideas and great thoughts, but it just wasn't working out. So uh, you know, we had to figure out a way to exit that. And then, uh, you know, another was a pretty significant company. Uh, a large company providing services that, that, again, they brought a product to market that, that was a little early stage. It turned out to, to be the one they're going with now through acquisitions. These companies came together. Uh, but both times, I would say some, some lessons learned from that would, would be, number one, uh, how do we make sure we're building into a contract that if we have something mm-hmm. that does, doesn't go the way we, we hoped it would, that we've got some kind of, of out now that said, you can't contract your way through everything. It's 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 about the relationship as well. But the the contract um, is is very very important. And I would say another lesson learned, and I've learned this over multiple places, is that um, you know when you bring in particularly software solutions, often the the, nat- the 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 desire is well, how do we customize that software to do things the way our business does. Things? And mm-hmm. for probably the first half of my career, I would have said that's very important. The, uh, a vendor or a partner needs to be able to adapt to custom ways of doing things. I've sort of switched my thoughts on that, particularly on standard things. Uh, now, if it's a very niche type software, that's one thing. But things like payroll, things like ERP, uh, EHR, our electronic health record in many, many cases, is help communicate the change to the business and work with the vendor that says if you know, if we're buying this for, uh, for a for a very specific reason from somebody we think is an expert, then let's not try to customize their software and, and be off grid so much just to meet our needs. If one of the most successful implementations we've had here was an, an EHR in, in, in an area, and the leader said, "Listen, if we do things different than the way than the software does it, we're switching. We're buying this software for a reason. Let's use it for what it's intended." So I would say keeping that in mind can can help sometimes avoid some some not so fun divorces uh, through contract. And then the last thing I would say, and this is just sort of a trend, um, you know, often you do very long three, five year contracts on things because you get discounts and you want the relationship to be longer. Uh, I'm not so sure you'll see folks in the future doing very limited contracts, one year contracts, because things are changing so rapidly right now. You know, a year from now, mm-hmm. it, you don't want to wake up and say, well, I'd love to make a change, but I've still got two or four years left in the original contract, and I don't have the flexibility to, to make a change. So you, you got to balance that. Do I, 
do I have a long-term, short-term contract uh, so that you don't get in those positions where you're trying to, you know, to have a divorce? Yeah, I know that 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 is uh, certainly the flexibility continues to be a theme I'm hearing. And to your point, there's so much change going on so quickly right now. And and ideally, you're working with vendors who are able to stay on top of that and help you navigate into that change instead of being something that needs to get out of your way. But uh, but in those situations where where a new a new way of doing things is is jumping in and taking up an opportunity. You've got to have the flexibility to be able to move with that right now, for sure. Um, if a tech company were to approach an NHC with a solution, what are the things you would like to see them consider? Like when you're going to when you're going to an organization's website, I know that you're hearing about solutions typically a lot of times through peers, maybe through at an event or something like that. And you're and you're you're doing your your initial exploration, Andy. What are some of the things that you're looking at? What are and how they articulate themselves that help you know that they're on the right track or help you know that they are at least uh, approaching things in a way that that give you the confidence to to take the next step forward you know what are what are some of the the things that help you um have instill that confidence that they might be a good solution what are you looking for well i think you mentioned the most important thing uh in the question which is is part of the relationships of others that may be doing something or using something i i depend very heavily on that network uh rarely are we looking for something that we're looking for and nobody else ever has so I certainly mm-hmm. leverage that network to to find uh, best practices and solutions. So that that's a great a great start. I, I think the other side of it, when I'm going to a website or when I'm looking deeply into what somebody can offer, is what is what is their knowledge of and experience in, if applicable, into our business, and, and how well do you know our business? I'll I'll mention one particular software we're implementing now and we're rather early stage with it uh, because uh, this this product has not launched yet. We're going to be a pilot in a beta setting, which is very unusual for us to do. But as we looked into the solution and we're looking for a solution in that area, this person worked in our space, not in the software business. They actually were an operator and ran the area that we're trying to find a solution for. And they, they saw a need mm-hmm. and said, we don't think the options out there are good. So they went and started a company. So, you know, the only reason we gave them a look and we're, and we're looking to do pilots is they had a deep understanding of the space. And I, I think um, that's probably one of the most important things is, is or either having knowledge of the space or of, of the area that you're trying to solve a solution. You know, in electronic health records, for example, very deep of there's generic things you do, but but are, can you help us in our nursing home environment? You you understand that, and so knowledge and, and depth in that knowledge, um, certainly credibility. I put a lot of stock in key folks that I've worked with that may have gone to another company, and they'll call me and they'll tell me we're offering a solution. I know they're not going to call me just to, because they've got a quota and they've got to make calls. If they're calling me and it's a great relationship. You know, I put a lot of stock in in the value of, of the, the quality of what they offer. Or they wouldn't have gone to, to work there. Mm-hmm. Conversely, you know, when when I get a lot of folks reach out to me in a product, and and I'll have a relationship with somebody, and they get a call from yet another person that says, "Hey, I'm 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 your your agent and from this company." And I thought, "No, you're not. I'm already I'm already doing business with you, and and you don't even know that." So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some of these organizations with the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing, gives me pause. Uh, so you, yeah. you don't you don't really know us. You don't know our business that well. Yeah. So I hear that pretty often. And it's a it's certainly a hard thing to do. And I think worth the time and attention that it takes to get that understanding, because, you know, if I've heard. If I've heard it once, I've heard it a hundred times. You know, if you've talked to one healthcare provider organization, you've talked to one healthcare provider organization. <laughs> you know, it, it is uh, they are unique elements to each, and the challenges are 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 unique in there. And that's where um, having that context and having having some some good knowledge of the organization you're working to get the attention of is important. Uh, and I think that that's you know what I hear you saying is 
you know, know us at some level because uh, the, the, our, your time is limited and uh, you know, I have a, a, too many opportunities to chase, uh, chase wild hares. Um, what are some of the, so, you know, what I know is you've already mentioned it a couple times. I mean, r- referrals, uh, folks that you, you know, the, the direct network that you're, uh, that you're accessing people and relationships are a good way in to what you're doing. And so to that regard, I know one of the critical elements and we work with our clients, we work and, and say this frequently, one of the most important elements you can have is a good in your marketing approach is a good set of third party validation you know organizations who are willing to show how your solution is directly benefiting and providing value for their organization and that's that's a super critical underscore but what are some of the cha- the channels that uh that you are frequently tuning into uh what are some of the publications how do you you know what are the different ways that you're uh, looking for new ideas. Yeah, that's a good question, and there's a there's a wide variety. You know, just in our industry, there's the AHCA, the association that 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 uh, is is part of our industry. They they put out a lot of great uh, material. There, there's a daily a daily email we get that here's what's going on in the industry. Um, mm-hmm. uh, other standard things like Becker's. I, I get the IT piece. I, sure. I look at the financial piece, the Becker's for CFO and the one of the vectors for CIO. I look at both of those, um, and then I'm I, I'm involved in several organizations that that I I get great value out of. One, for example, is uh, there's a national uh, uh, footprint from Inspire, and they have 23 chapters, of which Tennessee uh, CIO is one of those. And we have 50 something CIOs in the Tennessee from from Memphis to Bristol and everything in between. But there's over 1,100 now national CIOs and that organization, we all have access to each other. And and these are hmm. the who's who. And as far as companies, you'd recognize most of them, if not all of them, but I've got direct access to their CIO that I can contact and, and collaborate with. Uh, there are other, you know, conferences I go to, I go, I go to a lot of, and I'll typically go to everyone I'm invited to. I'm going to, to one Wednesday night of this week and I'm going to one Thursday night of this week, one zone, you know, specific deep, discussion in the world of cyber and AI and the others, AI, most everything I go to right now is AI related. Um, but, uh, you know, I go to those, there's some other organizations I belong to. So the, the, the challenge is you could spend 40 hours a week attending and researching these things. So what's the balance of, of, mm-hmm. of doing your homework and, and then actually getting some work done? Yeah, I know that those those are definitely important. Any any time you have the opportunity to network at high levels like that, it's really um, that ends up being a really critical link. And uh, thanks for thanks for sharing that. And I, I is it that's Inspire Leadership Network? Is that the organization you were mentioning before? Inspire CIO is is the name of it. It's an, it's it's now international. They've been going outside of the U.S. Uh, and then Tennessee is one of 20-something chapters, Tennessee CIO. Gotcha. Um, what is, uh, what's on your, how about publications? What are some of the, you know, you mentioned the, the Beckers. Are there any journals or things that you're keeping abreast of? Uh, yeah, the, those are the Beckers, uh, CIO. Um, I, I just get a lot of them. I, I don't. I put more stock in talking with folks and than I do just reading about things. Um, but you know, the ones I mentioned are the ones I go yep. to every day and then, then others as they, they surface. How about, uh, other, other reading? What's, uh, what's on your, on your bookshelf right now, Andy? Uh, I have about two or three things going at any given time. I just finished, uh, Last week, Isaacson's book on Steve Jobs uh, did one on Musk before that. I like a lot of biographies or autobiographies. Uh, and then leadership, I just finished um, uh, Brene Brown's Dare to Lead. And in fact, we're, we're going to do a sort of a book club in, in my leadership team uh, and go through that. Just a lot of, you know, spend a lot of time on leadership type things. How can we get better? Uh, and then the other half of the other side of that is technical things. I'm just, I've got a huge 600 page book from Jim Mahalik called IT strategy, uh, and a lot of great stuff in there. Um, 
So I, I skip around. I, I've got a, I do a lot of windshield time. I, I, I work in Murfreesboro, I live in Nashville. So I'm a, I'm an audible fan. I listen to a lot of books. Gotcha. If you were to future cast for us and, and talk about what you would anticipate being the, the biggest visible difference, but where, where, uh, where your organization is today versus let's say three to five years from now, what, what would you anticipate being the most discernible thing that's different and how you're, you're doing, doing things in the context of NHC and the IT well, side? If I knew the, the key answer to the, the right way to do that, I would <laughs> do a lot of investment in some people's stocks, but uh, you know, I think, and I, and I'll, I'll harp back to, there are uh, our culture is what has made us who we are. I think we've got a good name mm -hmm. in, in the industry, and a lot of that's because of our culture. So going forward, we don't want to quash that culture, but we also understand that that we're going to have to change and 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 transform and be willing to continually do that. And I think in the next three to five years, that's going to come in the form of of investing in automation and innovation through technology. I think it's going to be very, uh, very involved um, on the regulation side and, and advocacy. Mm -hmm. And we've got a lot of folks. I'm, I'm not as involved in that as our in our company. But we've got a lot of folks that are that are working on that uh, to help with the regulation piece, which is a which is a huge which is a huge headwind. Um, we we yeah. the regulations have got to open their doors to some of the automation and the opportunity for innovation that we're going to see necessitated yeah. for well, sure. I'll tell you a specific example of of the the, post, the the nursing home industry is the only re regulation that requires a certain staffing ratio. We have to have a certain number of LPNs or RPNs per patients. We're, we're the only part of healthcare that has that that, that I know of. And yeah. the headwind is the current administration is proposing more of that it, at a time where you know telehealth for example and other things can can get by with less of those people because there's the innovation taking over so while we can do more with less there's a requirement to have more people and so that's that's a that's a conflict right now that's got to be figured out uh, another piece is we we are um, you know the, the Medicare Advantage area we're actually a provider we have started uh, what's, what's called an OSNIP, uh, um, special uh, special needs plan, where our, our long care uh, patients in our facilities, actually, uh, we are their provider in three states. And we're, and we're mm -hmm. growing that. So that's been, that's something that I think you'll see a lot more of. And then one of the things I mentioned very early on, we have historically offered some third party or part services to some third party folks. Um uh, you know, way back in the day, we had some some divestitures that said, "Well, you know, we sold off some 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 of our assets," but they said we'd still like to have access to your systems and and use those, and they did. We've never really marketed that. Uh, we have launched just this year uh, a company called Transion, T R A N Z I O N. Our website's up and running, and, and and we're really doing a soft launch right now. But it's it's seeking to to really brand what we've done naturally but really haven't marketed in the past and be pretty bold in going in marketing uh to particularly smaller and um you know more family-owned type nursing home businesses there's a lot of independent providers out there that don't have it shops for example they don't they don't know how to do or they there's challenge with revenue cycle management so we're going to be offered them those services as, as we try to get very good about offering them to ourselves we think there's a market out there that we can start offering that to others. So I, I think in three to five years, you'll see that brand uh, growing and hopefully having some good traction. That's awesome. You know, one of the things we talk about a lot, and it's important in any of this, you know, any time of change, which is always, um, we have a huge opportunity right now to change some fundamental ways we're doing things. And, and we have a huge need right now to change a lot of how we're doing things. And when you're a technology company, when you, when you have a truly innovative solution, a big piece of what you have to do to help the market meet where you are is help them know how to think differently and, how, and, and not underestimate how much work it's going to take to get an organization who's been doing things a certain way for a long time to move into a full new way of operating on on a different you know 
you know, what does it mean? What does automation mean in XYZ sector? You know, how is that going to actually work? How are we going to ensure that it works? Because we can't, you know, when we're dealing with people and and with, with human lives, we can't afford to experiment. This isn't an experiment. It has to work. And so what are, what are we going to do together to ensure success? How do we need to think about it? How do we re- need to reframe what we're doing? And if you're, if you're bringing change, if you're bringing the opportunity to do something really different, don't underestimate what it's going to take to bring organizations along with you in that change. Be a partner. You know, help them partner toward that and understanding that and lock arms with them and be willing to walk with them in that process. And if you're not, it's going to be really hard because, or you know, changing a 50 year old organization into a, a, you know, with a really innovative frame is always going to involve some challenge, right? I mean, it's, there's, there's always going to involve some sort of uh, inertia that you need to overcome. And that's, uh, that's the anatomy of a good partner is showing how you're going to be willing to, to do that and, and join as a partner with an organization towards something that'll be successful. Um, Andy, thanks for joining us today. Any other, any, any final thoughts as we wrap up here? No, I appreciate uh, being with you today. Appreciate what you're doing in the health, uh, the technology community at, uh, at large and in this area and, any opportunities like this to to get the word out and and share uh, is greatly appreciated. Well, I appreciate your time. Andy Flatt, CIO of NHC. uh, Thanks for joining us today on Healthcare Market Matrix. My pleasure. Thank you. Healthcare Market Matrix is a Ratio Original podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then jump over to healthcaremarketmatrix.com and subscribe. And we'd really appreciate your support in the form of a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. It does make a difference. Also, while you're there, you can become a part of the Healthcare Market Matrix community and get access to courses and content that's created just for you by signing up for Insights Squared, a monthly newsletter dedicated to bringing you the latest health tech marketing insights right to your inbox. Ratio is an award-winning marketing agency headquartered in the Nashville, Tennessee. We operate at the intersection of brand and growth marketing to equip companies with strategies to create meaningful connections with the healthcare market and ultimately drive growth. Want to know more? Go to GoRatio.com. That's G-O-R-A-T-I-O.com. And we'll see you at noon central next week for an all new episode from our team at Ratio Studios. Stay healthy.